Good evening and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted tonight by the two originals, myself, Steve, and Ed M., who's still holding up the Ripken record. Hey, Steve. Hey, everybody. I hope everybody's doing well tonight. Yeah, and I guess happy Hanukkah to those of the Jewish persuasion. Happy Hanukkah. Yes, indeed. Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, okay, so you watched DeSantis that was on CNN? I did. I did. It was, a, I think he did a, a pretty good job. Did you watch? No, I did not. I count on you. You count on me. I can't, I can't stomach these things. Why can't you stomach them? Um, I generally don't enjoy how people speak. Um, generally don't enjoy the moderators. So I'm finicky. But well, you know, I actually like the town halls better than I like the, the debates. Debate. Because the debates, they get 60 to 90 seconds. Whereas, you know, with the town halls, they can talk for, you know, three or four minutes on a, on a particular question. And, you know, they don't have to worry about talking over somebody and somebody yelling at them. And there's no insults. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, DeSantis did go after Trump many times. He went after Nikki Haley a couple of times. Um, but I, I like the format. And uh, Jake Tapper was the moderator and he was surprisingly fair. Um, although he he tried to he tried to get DeSantis. I mean, he asked him abortion, a tough abortion question. Um, I, I thought DeSantis had a, a very good night. Um <clears throat> He sounded very uh, presidential. Um, I, I don't think that he showed as much charisma as people would want and as much as I would want. But, um, you know, he gave he gave some really good answers. It's, it's the first answer of the night, uh, you know, he he really went after Trump. You know, the, the first question, I forget the exact wording, but it was basically, you know, Trump had such a good administration. You know, why do you think you can do better or how can you do better? And he said, well, Trump had a good three years, but his fourth year was not good at all. And he went he went through how he turned the country over to Fauci. He had lockdowns. He endorsed all the gigantic spending that uh, that gave birth to the inflation under under Biden. Uh, he gave he gave his blessing to all the money printing and the low interest rates that similarly led to the in inflation. Um, and, and he blamed Trump for it. And, uh, you know, he he really went after Trump. I mean, the, the, the news that I've seen today is more about the uh, the satanic church thing at the Iowa State Capitol and how and he blamed Trump for his allowing his IRS to grant them tax exempt status as, as a church. Um, frankly, I think that's I mean, it was a point well taken, but I don't think the president interferes with how the irs handles things like that but unless he's obama or i mean or the people controlling biden but um i, I thought desantis did a really good job um so and, basically and, this is um if not proof it's evidence that he listens to our show because this i think is what you've been begging him to do for the longest time uh, yes. I mean, he he went after Trump much more than he than I've ever seen. Uh, he he could have gone more. Um, you know, I, I would like him to go more. But uh, I think that DeSantis tried very is trying very hard to be what Bush 43 said, you know, called himself a uniter, not a divider. And, and for example, I mean, that, that's my words, not DeSantis's words. But like, for instance, uh, one of the questions during the during the town hall was uh, Chris Sununu, governor of New Hampshire, is endorsing Nikki Haley. What do you think of that? And he said and DeSantis said, I'm not going to be like Trump and say that he's an idiot and call him names and all whatever. Congratulations to Nikki Haley. I think uh, I think Sununu is a great governor. He's a great campaigner. And I look forward to him campaigning for me next fall when I'm running for president. It sounds like a great answer. It was a great answer. And like and like I said, he you know, he tried to show excuse me. He tried to show that he's he's not just about the insults, that he really is trying to unite the party. 
which I thought was a really good thing. It sounds it sounds like Capper's first question was a beautiful hanging softball. I mean, giving him a chance to go after Trump like that. Um, I forget if it was from Tapper or if it was from the audience, but yeah. Um, and I had a couple of people that I talked to say the same thing that they thought that the that Ma, that uh, Tapper went a little easy on him. And but every time I asked, well, how would you want him to? Have, how could he have gone harder? Like, what would you have asked him? I mean, I guess they could have asked him about the Disney stuff and the woke stuff and the don't say gay stuff and all that. But they literally ignored all that stuff. Yes, but remember, most, not all, but most of the questions came from the audience, and the audience was Republican voters. Um, still interesting, I guess. Hmm. So, okay, and then the abortion thing. So what to remember the question, because I, I know that's an issue that Trump tries to go after him on, I think, but. Well, apparently there's a case in Texas where a woman has, was carrying a fetus that was diagnosed as having... It's trisomy 18. Right. And they and apparently Texas is forcing her to carry it to term, I think. And they asked him, what do you think of that? You know, I mean, is that, do you think that's appropriate or what, you know, I forget exactly how they phrased the question, but that was, they were asking him about that situation. And DeSantis said, well... In Florida, we signed a heartbeat bill and we believe in life, but the legislature put in some exceptions, you know, for the life of the mother, for, um, you know, he listed a couple of things. And, and one of the things he listed was if you have a non-viable fetus and the legislature put that in, believed that was important and I was willing to sign it and I did sign it. And that's the law in Florida. Um, and he said, and then he, and so he said, so he basically said he was okay with that exception but then the, the real hammer that he threw at, at Trump was he said he named Trump by name. And he said, what I'm not going to do is go back and forth the way Trump has, you know, in, in in January of 2020, Trump stood at the front of the March for Life parade and insisted that, you know, he respects life and life is every life is God given and it needs to be respected and then, you know, now he and, you know, now in 2023, he he's not so not so for life. I forget how he, I mean, he was much more eloquent. I don't remember how he said. Don't you remember Trump said, give me 15 minutes in a room and everybody will leave happy or something and I can fix this. And he's and so and, and DeSantis said, was he telling the truth in 2020? Is he telling the truth now? How do you know when he's telling the truth? And with me, you know, you know where I stand and I, and I will always stand for life and. You know, we can debate about some of the exceptions and we can debate around the edges, but uh, you don't have to doubt where I am on the issue. It sounds like a good federalist answer also. This is my state. This is their state. Yes. I mean, he he actually only once or twice sort of alluded to federalist issues. I mean, there was, you know, he said, uh, you know, he was talking about uh, some farm issue where apparently California was trying to impose its view of how hogs and pigs get raised on Iowa farmers. And he, and he said, you know, California shouldn't get to dictate how Iowa farmers raise their hogs. Mm -hmm. uh, every state should be able to decide that themselves. He also made a comment about, you know, New York City and, uh, you know, if they don't if they don't want to frack in Central Park, they shouldn't have to. And, you know, it's up to it's up to the local people. And, you know, he said it a couple of times, but he never really head on talked about federalism and, you know, every Just in the sense that we're different states. I mean, nobody asked him about nationalizing abortion laws, which is, I think, a place they try to trap him into. If you're pro-life, then are you going to make the whole country blah, blah, blah? Right. They didn't ask that question. They could have asked that question. And that's sort of a no win answer for him, because it's a much says, tougher question. If he says I'm for the federalist answer, then he's sort of alienating all the people that are against abortion and think it should be illegal everywhere. And if he then, but if he says, on the other hand, I want to make it illegal everywhere, then he sounds like a hypocrite. You know, you, you know, you spent 60 years arguing that Roe nationalized the issue. Now you got your way and now you want to nationalize it the other way. 
So it's sort of, that's a question that's a no-win answer for a Republican. Yeah, I'm not following the Texas case that close because it seems to get a little bit into the woods. But the idea of a non-viable fetus, a 20-week fetus, and I think she was trying to claim that if they force her to deliver a term, it will endanger her ability to have another child. Yes. And that's and affecting that. her health. And I, I thought that was pushing it again. I have no idea what the Texas law says specifically. Um, I, I think it would have been nice had she just gone to California, gotten the thing and, you know, leave it alone. Of course, then they say, well, not everybody can afford to do it. Well, with the money you spend promoting it, you probably could send anybody anywhere. But well, I mean, I, it's more than that, Stephen. I mean, I don't I mean, we've, we, you know, I I'll share this. I mean, I went through that kind of situation. I had a not uh, my wife had a non-viable fetus at 21, the end of the 20th week. And we were advised that, uh, you know, had no arms, no legs and no chance of survival. And um, that it was, you know, by the 23rd week, we it was going to get dangerous for, for her. And, you know, I would have not felt comfortable going, you know, going, you know, a thousand miles away to a different state and not having not using her OBGYN to perform the procedure. Right. But there they said it was dangerous to her. They said in two in about two to three weeks it would get right. dangerous. And that I think very few people are gonna have the issue with. Whereas in Texas, I thought she was stretching a little bit. Again, I didn't read, you know, all the details, but once you start pushing that envelope really far out, it gets a little tougher. I mean, again, other than letting every state adopt whatever rules it wants to, there is no solution that I can think of. So you gotta that's the I think that is the solution, the and that's certainly the framer's solution. And we just have to suck it up and deal with it. And the hard cases are on things like, you know, what if a state wants slavery? And what if a state wants to ban the First Amendment? And I mean, those are hard. Those are the hard questions. But and I guess the people who are against abortion would say that abortion is the same kind of hard question because it's it's murder. What if a state wants to legalize murder? Right. That's that's what we say. But what's that expression? Was it bad cases make bad law? Or hard cases make bad law? Uh, yeah, hard cases make bad uh, make bad law. Right, so you can't. You know, the law is never going to cover every single situation, and it's really sad if you have to go to court when you have a specific situation. But on the other hand, what's the alternative? And well, it's interesting to hear you say that, Stephen, because you're the Mister. I need a bright line rule for everything. Um, I don't think it's going to be possible with a medical situation. You can't quantify the situations, you know, like England indexes life value. I don't know how you could possibly quantify it. So you have to go with, so let's say in Jewish law, we would say danger to the health of the mother. Okay, that's a very, very wide gray area. And at a certain point, you're going to have to say one doctor, two doctors, whatever it is. In Israel, I don't know if it's still the same, but they actually have a committee that you had to go in front of to get an abortion. And then I don't remember if you needed unanimous or some kind of vote, but you're never going to have a solid line because A, no two cases are the same and B, two doctors don't necessarily agree if the case is the same. So one doctor may say it's a danger. One may say not. I don't disagree at all. And, you know, that. but ordinarily when you and I are debating this, whether it's on air or, or off the air, you're your answer is always, well, that's a slippery slope. You know, you need a bright, you know, we need a bright. 100%, 100%. Um, I totally plead guilty to what you're saying because I do say that. And yes, this is an area where other than laying down health of the mother, I, I don't know how you can possibly quantify it. Well, it's not about quantifying it. To me, I think that the precondition is you have to have a culture of reason. And if you've got a culture of reason and, you know, a good moral people, Moral, re rational people can disagree on where the exceptions are, where the line should be drawn, and you don't have to have a bright line for everything. I mean, it's okay. I mean, not everything is a slippery slope as long as you've got your precondition of a good culture and a good, you know, moral people. Um, it's you not know where I can move. I'm sorry. Are you giving me a place to move to? 
Well, I mean, I'm just pointing out what the problem is. The problem is not the bright line and it's not the it's not the lack of a bright line and it's not the slippery slope. The problem is, you know, John Adams said we, you know, the Constitution is for a moral and religious people and that it would be of no use to any other. Boy, well, did that nail it, huh? We are not we are not the same moral and religious people that we were at the founding. I mean, okay. Um, I guess it's too early for post town hall polls to have struck, right? Um, I'm sure it's not too early, but I haven't looked. But I, I will say that watching the the pundits on CNN, I mean, the the town hall was on CNN. Most of them were, I mean, I don't want to say gushing over DeSantis, but he got very positive marks to the point where I wondered. Did they get a memo that they need to build this guy up a little bit? Um, you know, there was one pundit who said, who, who mentioned that, you know, he did really well, but that's because he didn't mention woke and he didn't mention Disney. And, you know, she's, I forget her name, but some shrill little bitchy woman that, you know, no offense to our female listeners, but that's just who that person is. Um, she, uh, even she said that he did a he did a very good job, and uh, the whole table that they the whole round table they had, uh, well, I guess except uh, Paul Begala, who uh, is a Clintonite, uh, he thought that DeSantis was a a clown, but uh, they they the whole table the rest of them they thought he did well, and even Begala said he did really good for him. It's just it's a low bar, something like that. <laughs> So, I mean, if we were on DeSantis's campaign, would we have advised for or against even going on CNN for that kind of thing? Because it sounds like it came out a lot better than it could have. You know, I mean, it depends on if he's ready to deal. He's he's going to need to be ready to deal with enemy fire. You know, in a general campaign, he's going to have to deal with it. And if he gets becomes president, he's going to have to deal with these people trying to take him down from day one. So I think that I don't know as a, as a as if I were his advisor if I'd say it was a good thing for him to go on but as a voter it was a good thing to see how he handles that um because you don't know until he deals with it. Yeah, um, and the other, from the other side why would CNN do it? What was the positive if it's, if it's questions from the audience and they can't take him down so far why would they do it? I don't know. And they have Ramaswamy on tonight. Ooh. Interesting. So apparently Saheli got Sununu's endorsement, which again, do endorsements matter? Who knows? Um, obviously, if you give an endorsement and the other guy wins, it doesn't leave you in such great shape. They were both governors, so I guess that was that would be a tough pick for that. Now, apparently Haley's out there pushing Trump to get into the next debate or even saying she won't debate without him or something. I haven't heard that, but I, I've been wondering in my head if Trump is just going to try and swoop in and come in for the last debate and try and throw knockout punches on everybody. Um, I, I wonder if that's not his game plan. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But it's interesting if Haley insists that he has to debate. Um, I mean, I think they should call him out. I mean, I think it's already from the challenger's perspective, it's. I think there's almost a benefit to him not being there. You just, he's a, you know, he's, he's an easy target and can't defend himself. If if they use him as a target. Yeah. If right. I mean, why would you want to bring him in there and let him defend himself? I mean, if he's willing to, to be a punching bag. I mean, I don't find him such a good speaker that he defends himself. Well, you know, he uses his five adjectives and goes off on tangents and, you know, brags about himself. So. That's why I would want it. And again, I'm the voter who thinks he looks like an idiot calling people names. But apparently yeah, but he sucks the oxygen out of the room, right? I mean, he's I mean, he he'll talk over everybody, he'll he'll cut everybody's time down. Um I I I, I think that he should be a debate. I won't say that I don't want him to be there, but I, I don't think that he's gonna increase the 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 light you know he might increase the heat but he's not going to increase the light from the next debate if he joins it 
Okay. So segueing on the uh, topic of a reasonable and moral people. So as everybody in the world knows, the uh, president of UPenn is gone. I believe the chairman of the board of UPenn is gone. But Harvard is insisting on holding on to Claudine Gay. Um, supposedly, they were even investigating her alleged plagiarism even before this last thing kind of blew up um, with the, you know, the anti-Semitism issue, et cetera, et cetera. Is that because we're not a moral people? Is that because of a racial issue? And you say that, what do you mean? That they got rid of Liz defending defending gay to the, uh, you know, to the max. They're saying, well, she may have missed a few citations. No big deal. We're a hundred percent behind her. Does that bode poorly for, we thought maybe we had a little bit of a victory here, but the I think people are not going anywhere. I think that them defending her is is our victory because they're not going to replace her with anybody better from our perspective. I think that letting her stay there and and making them defend letting them defend the indefensible just reveals who they are. I mean, not that you and I don't know who they are, but the general public doesn't really know who they are. And the general public doesn't understand how I mean, corrupt is just is almost too clean and polite of a word for to describe what's happened to the universities. I mean, they are literally the enemies of our country. And, and you know, so it's it's beyond corruption. I mean, corruption is, you know, I love America, but I'm going to, you know, steal from the Treasury. I mean, these are people that that want to destroy this country. They're, they're beyond corrupt and uh, I don't think the average person understands that. I mean, I've I've got a son who's a freshman in college, and I'm I'm a highly educated person myself. I've got multiple de- uh, degrees. Uh, I've got multiple graduate degrees, and so education has always been important to me and and a vehicle to to live a better life. But I I told my son, I think it's I think you might be better off going to community college and you know just seeing where things are in two years, and you know he's. He, you know, he, you know, he thought about it, but he thought that, you know, university, you know, a college degree is, you know, your ticket to to success in this world. And I think that that's what most people believe still. Um, I, I mean, I'm, there's a part of me that believes it, but there's a another part of me that now sees that a, a college degree is almost like a, a reverse stamp of, of mediocrity and, and, and inabil- inability rather than a stamp of ability. Um, but I, I, most people don't see it that way. And I think that having them defend the indefensible and showing all the anti-Semitism and the hatred of America and the plagiarism and the, I mean, all the stuff that's going on and that's getting publicity. I think that having them defend that, it, that's our victory. We're, we're not going to have a victory. I mean, like the, in U, UPenn, they, they were replacing Liz McGill. They are not going to put somebody in there that loves America and is going to start standing for American values. And that's going to de-wokeify UPenn. Um, They're just, they're just going to pretend like nothing has happened. And I I don't see how that's a victory for us. The victory is exposing this corruption for what it is. And in that sense, Harvard defending gay is, is, is our victory. It's the best we can do right now. Mm-hmm. The best we can hope for right now. We don't do it. They they do it. But are we violating that uh, supposed law in Florida by talking about her? Which law in Florida? Don't say her last name. Law. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. How coincidental. Yeah, I mean, I think Elise Stefanik with that grilling. You know, when you hear her ask the same question 400 times, you think, what the heck is she doing? But I think it did have a good effect on showing what these people are that, you know, who was it? Somebody shared a meme with a picture of an arm with a numbered tattoo from Auschwitz. And then on top of that, superimposed, it depends on context. Right. Um, Whether it's accurate or not, but there is a point 
you should be able to say genocide is a really bad thing. Now we could talk about the details of free speech, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's pretty pretty horrible. As as uh, I believe one of your uh, sons said, if if they're going to go after people for using the wrong pronoun, then they should be able to go after people who advocate genocide. And they should at least express disgust at it, even if they can't go after it, you know, discipline wise, you should be like, right. And again, switching any other group to saying we could commit genocide on, you know, it, it wouldn't work very well. So. Agreed. And I think, you know, obviously where we're coming from, one of the problems with the universities isn't only the corruption, it's the ignorance. It's you come out of there dumber than when you went in. And now this week they're saying, you know, Yale, they're giving out a super high percentage of A's. You're getting, you know, the participation trophy. So you come out with one of the most prestigious degrees in the world from Yale and you know nothing. Yeah. And you have all these, you know, highfalutin professors who haven't taught the kids which river and which sea. And apparently there was 10% of these people asked that Yasser Arafat was the president of Israel or something at some point. <laughs> so if you really don't know anything, and these are university people, a lot of them, we're really, really messing up. And it's absolutely scary, the ignorance. So, I mean, you, you're, so your son's in college and university now, pretty much a full semester, I guess. Do you find that they're they're also brainwashing or you haven't run into it yet? Um, he tells me about some of it. Um, he's at a school that is not, I mean, every almost every university is leftist, but where he's going is not quite as bad as some of the other ones. Um, but he still, he tells me how they, especially the transgender stuff is what they're really pushing these days. Pronouns are they? Is that a school where they force you to use somebody else's pronouns? I haven't asked them that question. I don't know because that's you know that was the Jordan Peterson thing originally, if I remember correctly. But that's when you're stepping on somebody else's free speech. Um, you know what's also a free speech issue is I don't even know if we talked about it, but the Supreme Court supposedly does not want to hear a case about laws that ban conversion therapy. And so I don't know if we've ever discussed conversion therapy, which is obviously therapy where an adult comes to you of his own volition or her own volition and says, I really don't want to be gay anymore. Can you help me not be gay? And in many states, it's illegal to do that. And your license is endangered if you take on a client like that. And seemingly, the free speech issue if nothing else, you know, it's funny in the, in the abortion thing, it's between the doctor and the patient, but in conversion therapy, it's no longer between the doctor and the patient because the government says, no, even if the patient wants to go in that direction, you are not allowed to say that. How in the world can transgender surgery be legal, but gay conversion uh, ther therapy, therapy be illegal? I mean, it's the same principle, just in the reverse direction. And again, you know, the, the blatant hypocrisy slash double standard is so absolutely absurd. I mean, I, from a free speech perfect, um, perspective, even wonder about licensing of psychotherapists, um, because essentially you're telling a psychotherapist, you're telling a person you can't help somebody else with your words without a license. Yeah, I mean... I can't I can't defend most regulatory licensing schemes. So um, I don't know that it's First Amendment, but just as a general proposition, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, again, I want to go back to the gray area slash bright line. But some of these things, if, if somebody comes to you seeking help and you're not allowed to provide that help, I think, yeah, definitely flies in the face of the abortion issue. So, yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, on the flip side, I will say that if 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 it were, I mean, if you had a genuine licensing sy system where where the the government was giving some stamp of approval, and there was you know a, a a qualitative assessment of the licensee, 
I'm not opposed to states having the power to do that if that's what their people want. Uh, but what I what I what I do oppose is just this. I mean, it's just a regulatory game right now. I mean, if, if you should be able to, you know, if they're going to license psychotherapists, for example, you should be able to sue the state if in any malpractice case. The state should be a co-defendant in a malpractice case. Ooh, that, that's an interesting one. Same thing with law. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to tell me I can't practice without a license, if I can't practice without getting your stamp of approval, well, then, golly gee, your stamp of approval should if, 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 if the public is relying on it. So you should be you should be a co-defendant in any uh, malpractice case. That's just that's my view on it. Um you know, but and and if that were the case, I would be okay with a licensing scheme. My problem with it is the state gets to tell me I can and cannot practice, and it has no liability for you know one way or the other. They should be on the hook. Interesting, can can argue with that. Um, there's only two more stories that I personally wanted to discuss, and we can discuss obviously what you want to discuss. The Houthis in Yemen who seem to be getting more and more belligerent almost every day. And they're saying any ship that heads towards Israel, we don't care who it's flagged by, we don't care who it's crewed by, we're going to attack it. They're shooting stuff at a lot of international ships and stuff. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's my old Reaganism. It does not hit me very well. What do you mean? They're strangling world shipping. And I thought that was something the world really, really doesn't like. And when you're closing off the Red Sea and possibly the Suez Canal eventually then, because that's where all those ships can go, and just wondering how long the world, quote, tol will tolerate it. You know, Biden is not really doing anything about it. If I were president, I would call up Yemen and say, I hate to... <laughs> Paraphrase Jill, I would say don't. <laughs> Jill says don't. Don't you remember that whole thing that, you know, Biden, what are we saying to Iran? Don't. And then we were making fun of it. Although it's brilliant when Biden says one word, don't. That's brilliant. But when Nancy Reagan said, just said no, just say no, that was the dumbest thing in history. It seems pretty clear to me that... <clears throat> some foreign policy or maybe a domestic terror attack or coordination coordination of both is is coming next year and that that unless i mean unless biden just dies on his own i think that might be the vehicle that they're going to use to get rid of him you know i mean if if we get hit with a major terror attack or you know at some point if he attacks the hoodies and in response, the Iranians activate a bunch of terror cells that have come across the border with, you know, unchecked. And all of a sudden we've got, you know, five terror attacks in, 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 in a week. I think that that, you know, Biden might be thinking in his head that the country is going to rally behind him. But I think that might be the, the vehicle by which they get rid of him. Right. But on the other hand, in an election year, I always figure they don't want to mess with a Democrat because that will push Trump back into office and Trump is a nut. And so I always tend to think they don't want to do that. It's kind of like in Israel, they don't like terrorist attacks when there's a leftist as prime minister, especially in an election year, because that will push Netanyahu back. So I don't know if it holds, but. Let's see what happens in a little more than 30 days in Iowa. I, I still don't think Trump is going to be the guy, but we'll see. Mm. Too bad we can't peek into the future, obviously. The only other story that, again, we, we talk about hypocrisy, hierarchy, et cetera, et cetera, mm. is apparently, quote, ceasefire activists occupied a Senate building and they holding up uh, proceedings or something. And lo and behold, none of them are doing uh, eight years, 22 years. Again, like you always say, they don't care. It's in our faces. Well, and the humiliation is part of is a major component of what what they're doing. 
They want to make it so that we're so demoralized that we don't resist. Yeah, they've done a really good job, aren't they? Yes, they have. I mean, you can't go back to court and say, it's not fair how you're treating me when you're treating them the exact opposite. There's no way to do that. And yeah, the proportions to which it's gotten are just so far beyond. But, you know, Trump is such a loudmouth. Why isn't he the one broadcasting all this? He's the one who's got truth social. He's the one who's got the megaphone. Why isn't he running the counter narrative? I mean, it's to his benefit to run the counter narrative, but yet he's just incapable of of producing what we need. I mean, it, it would help him to show that January 6th was a farce. It would help him personally in his criminal case cases and it would help him politically in his campaign. Well, why won't he do it? I mean, is he is he part of this whole is he in on this game? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. He's it, it, it's you talk about a softball or something that's really easy for him to do. Why isn't he on TV every day or on Truth Social blaring out how what the what this hypocrisy is? You know, it, it, you know, if, if these people can can enter the, the Capitol and do their sit in without it being an insurrection, what are my people doing in jail? Let my, I mean, Moses said, let my people go. Why doesn't he say that? You know, he, he, everyone thinks he's Jesus Christ. Why can't he say, let my people go? He's get, he's got all the opportunity to do it and he, and he just won't. So. And J6 didn't come up at all in the town hall last night. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I forget who it was, but it was some politician, I believe, who was knocking Trump for leaving office without doing anything to help them. I care. I don't know if it was Haley. I can't remember who it was. Yeah, I saw that. There were, I think I think it was some something from the DeSantis campaign where he was saying that uh, instead of pardoning the J6ers, he was giving Millie and Fauci commendations on his right, last. Right, right, right. Yep. Yeah, and giving Fauci a commendation just literally wraps it up in a bow and hands it to DeSantis to slam out of the park. Because Trump can go out there all the time and say, I was fooled, I was fooled, I was fooled, but not if he, you know, on his last day says how great he is. Which he did. Which he did. So yes. it makes it so much easier. At least DeSantis gets to say, okay, I was fooled for a few weeks and I moved on. But very interesting. I mean... Ramaswamy, in your best guess, is he losing if he ever had? Did people take him seriously? What do you mean, is he losing? Is he, assuming people took him seriously at some point, is that shrinking? Or you think he's kind of holding steady? I mean, I like a lot of what he says, but then he just talks like a loud mouth and, you know, putting everybody else down, blah, blah, blah. I'm wondering. Um, I, I, I'm always hesitant to try and speak for other people. Um, for me personally, yes, I, I think he's, he's losing some luster in my eyes for, for the reason that you say, um, he, it's not just that he's being a lout mouth, you know, that he's being a lout about things. There's something disingenuous that I see in the way he's attacking people. It's almost like he's trying to be Trump for Trump. And, you know, he's not trying to be Trump for himself. Um, he's not doing anything that, you know, when he's going after Nikki Haley, for example, who's, the, and that's the main person he's gone after. He's not building himself up in any way that's going to make him more electable. All he's doing He's going after Nikki Haley the way Christie is going after Trump. And well, I mean, Christie, I think, is actually being more effective because I think that there, there probably are people out there that are listening to Christie and say he's the adult in the room. Whoa. <laughs> I think so. 
you, you probably, no, right. I don't think anybody yeah. looks at Ramaswamy as being an adult. He, he looks and sounds like the little child of the group. Yeah, I'm going to bring back the word of the 90s. It was the 90s or the early 2000s. Does he lack gravitas? I think so. I think that's kind of I, missing. I think so, although it's gravitas, but it's something more than that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, just for me personally, I, I listen to him and I think, I, I mean, I've said this from the beginning. I, I just think that there's a secret deal between him and Trump. That's I, I listen to him and, and I just assume that, you know, there's a there's a, a, a corporation that Vivek owns that's ABC Corp. And there's a corporation that Trump owns that's XYZ Corp. And XYZ Corp is making a lot of payments for some phantom products from ABC Corp. And Vivek is profiting. That's I can't prove it. I'm not trying to you know defame him or anything, but that's what it sounds like, that he's getting paid hmm. by Trump. To attack people. That's what it sounds like to me. Interesting. And and that's not really a gravitas problem. It's a it's a lack of integrity and a lack of sincerity problem. Yeah, me. I mean, I'm using sincerity as a little bit of gravitas. There's just no heft. I don't know. I don't have the exact word. I mean, if you just I bet you if you just read transcripts. Ramaswamy is saying some really good things. And I think if you just listen to his words, there would be gravitas. I think that there is seriousness in what he says. And he he's willing to discuss things that other people aren't willing to discuss. But there's just something about the way he's doing it. That I think the uh, picture coming into my warped mind is like a chihuahua nipping at people's heels. I mean, isn't that what they're saying that DeSantis looks like around Trump's ankle? I don't know, but I don't think DeSantis is nipping at people's heels. He's not just trying to put people down. I don't think he's trying to put anybody down, honestly. DeSantis? Yeah. He's not. That's what I'm saying. So he can't be compared to a nipping dog, whereas Ramaswamy is almost like he's trying to, you know, hit people from not a high place. Yeah, I think that's valid. Okay. Well, you get no points for agreeing with me, Ed. I'm not trying to score points, Stephen. Oh, come on, come on, come on. All right. Anything else on your mind? Um uh, if Mike if Mike were here, Mike P were here, he would undoubtedly mention that. Uh, Shoei Otani just got an outrageous contract. Yeah, seven hundred million dollars, but most of it deferred or something. Yes, yes, and I think that the reason for that is that he's sort of like a, a Michael Jordan type person, where he's got so much money coming from alternative income streams that he doesn't need to have it come right away from the Dodgers. And I know Mike is. I've spoken with Mike privately, and he thinks that. Well, I, I, I hate talking. I just said I don't like speaking for other people, but uh, you know, he he's pointed out that uh, it's it seems to be an attack on the salary cap and the luxury tax in baseball. Um, I don't think it is. Um, the collective bargaining agreement specifically says that there's no limit on on deferred compensation, um, but it does sort of go at the spirit of the luxury tax. Um, but the Dodgers will pay the piper down the road. You know, at some point, they're going to pay him that $680 million that they're right. deferring. Now, to my small economic knowledge, a deferred contract goes down every year with inflation. Correct. So he loses a certain amount of money every year by doing that. Right. It's not really $700 million. It's really the present val discounted value of $700 million right. over 10 years. Right, which in 10 years could be $500 million or whatever. So right. isn't he kind of injured or something? Like he can't pitch anyway. Can't pitch this coming year, but he's going to be a hitter. He's going to he's going to bat and play the field. Speaking of inflation, we did have a, a Fed meeting this week, and 
Fed held interest rates steady and people seem to think that that's, that's going to lead to rate cuts next year. Uh, I will go on record and say I don't believe that they're going to cut rates. I think that the the Fed is looking to, if not crash the economy, I I think that they are willing to crush inflation at any cost, and that cost can include a lot of people's jobs. Um, and I think you know I know we have a lot of you know libertarians and and ancaps that listen to the show, and the the thing that I find really curious and interesting is how many of the same people who for 15 years have been saying you can't have zero interest rates, zero percent interest rates, or that we've even flirted with negative interest rates. And in some places like, uh, I believe Switzerland, Austria, I think a couple, couple of European countries have actually gone uh, negative interest rates um, we've had a lot of the libertarian, uh, you know, ANCAP kind of people saying that, you know, the government artificially holding interest rates down is a bad thing. And those same people today are saying five to five and a half percent interest rates are going to crash the economy. And you talk about people who want to have it both ways. They sort of those people do want to have it both ways. So um, that's an interesting, interesting thing to me. Uh, we've got a new president that was sworn in, in in Argentina, and he's ushering in austerity. And uh, he devalued the peso. Or uh, the now, Argentina. when he devalues the peso, even though yes, I, I've said I've lived through devaluations in Israel. What is that designed to do? Um, it's designed to stop the inflation and stop the spending. I mean, and he he cut down he he eliminated a bunch of government departments right off the bat, right after he was sworn in. Um, but the the devaluation is designed to try and stabilize the currency. And uh, you know he he ran on a platform where he was going to try and replace the Argentine peso with the dollar. Um, you know he. If the if the value of the current, I mean, they've been they've been dealing with, I believe it's 140 percent inflation every year, which for us is is almost unfathomable, right? I mean, we have, you know, we hit nine percent last year you go crazy. Mm -hmm. right? for that nine percent for them that was like a week, or maybe you know maybe two weeks. Um, so devaluing the peso in a certain sense just recognizes reality for what it is. Um, instead of trying to maintain a, an exchange rate that's not possible and creating a black market, um, they're trying, he, he's trying to stabilize the, the currency and stabilize the government's finances is what he's trying to do with that. Now, how do you go about devaluing a currency? What do you actually do? <clears throat> you... You have a, I mean, he says he's going to get rid of the central bank, but you, I mean, the Argentine peso, I don't know what the exchange rate is, but if, uh, you know, if it was, you know, 300 pesos to a dollar, he might say it's, you know, 500 pesos to a dollar so that the peso buys less and the dollar buys more. Right. But that, and that helps how? Well, I mean, it's you want to cal you, you don't you want to calibrate what the actual what the actual exchange rate is with the official exchange rate. When when the actual exchange, if you have the if the official exchange rate is too high or too low, then you wind up with black market transactions. If you if you allow it to float and you I mean if it's I mean inflation is naturally de devaluing the currency so. Um, he's just recognizing reality when he devalues the currency like that. Okay. Again, my mind is picturing turning into a skid. Turning into a what? A skid. Skid. When you skid your car, remember the good old days? Turn into the skid? Uh-huh. Is the way to get out of it? Yeah. So you're saying you're kind of bringing reality. You're bringing the currency in line with reality. You're almost leaning into it to get out of it. 
you're not denying right that that's what i mean yes wait isn't that how we were taught to drive <laughs> i think they changed it with front wheel drive to be honest but at least when we learned how to drive and i guess the other story just worth mentioning is christopher ray is seemingly saying we're super high danger for a you know a lone terrorist and is he saying that because he really thinks something's going to happen? I thought he said. I thought he said it was you know like multiple attacks, right? But he had to mention it could be lone wolves, of course, because it's not anything organized. God forbid. But I, he, I saw that, and that that was part of my thinking. That was part of my thinking about when I was talking a few minutes ago. That I think that that's part of how I think they're looking to get rid of Biden. If if we suffer a really bad attack, it's going to be hard. You know, some people think that's going to rally the country behind him. But I mean, given the given all the talk about the open border, I, I don't think he could survive a, a major terrorist attack right now. Right. But then they'd have to replace him with somebody who's not pro open borders if that's the way it went. They'll just talk. I mean, the, the goal is just they want to re, they want to get rid of him. I mean. You know, they could put Mayor Mayorkas up there who says that we have a closed border now. Ugh. I was enjoying this show until you said that. I'll always enjoy spending time with you, Stephen. Yeah. So you talk whatever about, you talk about is good. Thank you. You talk about blatant um, ability to spew absolute trash. Mayorkas may, may have it on everybody. I think it's part of the Democratic Party uh, educational program. Mm -hmm. If you can't, if you can't lie through your teeth, you can't be a Democrat. There you go. That's the line of the evening. And poor Emhoff stepped in it apparently by being the token Jew and said something about Hanukkah that was so ridiculously untrue. We had to take down his tweet or something. And you always wonder if you're in public life, can't you just look something up before you spew it? But apparently not. So. I guess not. I don't know. I didn't hear what he said, so I don't know. Something about the Jews had to hide for eight days or something. Some, I mean, it's not like it's hard to go to Wikipedia and get something close to somebody's truth. You don't have to make up some ridiculous thing to show how Jewish you are. Okay, so we'll wrap up for the evening. Sounds good. Okay. We all of our co-hosts. Yeah, we'll probably have five or six back next week again. So who knows? It's actually good to uh, get a one-on-one. -on -one. It was fun. Yep. We had a good show. Okay, please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. And we wish everyone a wonderful evening.